Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Draft Nicks, here we go. Welcome to another edition of Draft Nation. My name is Joe 412, and I will be your host for the next 60 minutes. We've got a 60 minute special tonight. Uh, got two guys on. They're going to talk baseball. Uh, so get ready. I know we went into spring training here. Pitchers and catchers reported last week. We got some games to talk about, and of course, the upcoming season and what you're gonna, they're going to think about some of the, the new stars that are cu- upcoming from the ranks of the prospects. But before we begin, as always, I want to thank our longtime sponsor, iHeartMedia, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. And for those of you that haven't listened to our show before, Draft Nation is a, is a nation of draftniks. We're a national e-magazine that hyper-focuses on all four major sports and their professional drafts. So if you're a fan of, of coverage related to player scouting or mock drafts or free agency, salary cap provisions, and, of course, the needs of your favorite teams. So, well, then you are in the right place. Uh, and tonight I have two guests uh, for the full length of the hour. I've got Rick Moore and Rob Crete joining me here. These guys are baseball experts and some scouts. I'll let them introduce themselves in a second. But, uh, Rob and Rick, are you guys ready to go on the clock? Yeah, I'm ready to rock. Ready to go. Cool. Well, uh, Rob, let's start with you. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then I'll rotate over to Rick and let him do the same thing before we get into some of our questions. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Hey, I'm a senior baseball writer for Night Sports Productions and It Sports Magazine since 2018. And uh, right now, I'm I'm really working a lot with Amped Up Sports, and we have a, a 
an online presence there on Facebook and other spots. So I'm real excited about being here, and I'm very excited about the upcoming baseball season. Great. How about you? Uh, yeah, Rick. Joe, been uh, with uh, Night Sports for uh, seems like all my life, probably about 20 <laughs> years uh, <laughs> on uh, baseball and uh, football, and really enjoy it. Been doing the shows for many, many years, and uh, get a kick out of it, and love to get on and talk to the people. Well, good. Well, thanks, gents, for coming on. And before we do a preview of 2024, let's do a little bit of a review of 2023. The Rangers. Man, they came out of nowhere to win uh, at the series last year. As we look toward the 2024 season, is there going to be another Rangers situation here? Or, you know, what, what are you guys thinking? What team in the National League and what team in the American League do you guys think have a chance to play for the 2024 World Series? And, and Rick, I'll start with you. You know, I've got to uh, feel confident this year about the uh, – I, I love the uh, Cincinnati Reds and the Baltimore Orioles in the American League. They've got the young talent. They've got the the rosters from uh, building in the minor league, and I think that they're going to make a great showing this year. I uh, They did well last year, came out of nowhere. I think they shocked everybody. They certainly shocked me. Of course, so did the Rangers, and so did the Diamondbacks. I'm out here in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and nobody in Arizona, <laughs> the Diamondbacks, were going to beat the Dodgers and get into the uh, series. So, Great series. It was fun having the Diamondbacks and Rangers and some different teams out there playing ball. So uh, we enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, I'd love to see the Reds and the Orioles, who are my two teams, to pick to come out of the pack and maybe get it to the final week of the show. Uh, if they can overcome the Dodgers and the Yankees. They always get that way. Rob, I, I know that um, – I'll let you answer the same question in a minute, but, you know, last year I, I had to admit the Braves just sounded – to me they were like – oh. A monster, like they had, they were scoring runs. Their home run, they were just crazy. For I, I, I thought for sure it was going to be the Braves. I, I thought the Orioles might be a year too early, uh, but you know, with this, and we'll get into free agency in a little bit. But Rob, are you agreeing with Rick here? You see the same two teams, or you got your own favorites? You know, uh, Rick's got a, a great idea there because they're the young teams, and these guys adapted to the new rules faster than any of these more veteran teams. You know, they've been playing with some of these rules, toying with them in the minor leagues. So, you know, the Reds and the Orioles definitely came on, and I see them looking real strong again in 2024. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to tell you that the surprise team in the National League is going to be the Pirates of Pittsburgh. Um, I think that they're doing a couple things with the pitching staff. They got a decent bullpen. They got a young team as well. And I think they're the surprise team of 2024 in the National League. I really like Bedner in you know, the back end of that bullpen with Chapman. Um, uh, the the shortstop, O'Neal, is great. Uh, he's a great power hitter. I think that they're going to step up and look a little different than, uh, than they have in the past. And I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Angels, actually, in the American League. And I know that almost seems counterintuitive when they lose one of the greatest players that we've ever seen come across this game. But they got some decent pitching. They got some. Uh, they, they've pretty much restocked that team and retooled it the way they they should have. They're probably one starting pitcher away, and maybe that starting pitcher. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about free agents. Maybe there's one out there that could really help them get over the top, and they might surprise people uh, in 2024. 
Yeah, cough, cough, Snell, cough, cough, Snell, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, it, let's be, before I go on, because you, you, you mentioned a certain L.A. team, and I'll get into Otani in a second. Uh, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you, the Pirates, that, that surprises me. You know, uh, I, I think they might be still a year away. Uh, but the talent they have on that team in the minors is undeniable. That's for certain. I mean, I think that, in all honesty, I think their best pitcher, their best player, period, in Paul Skeens, their number one draft pick mm-hmm. from last year, they're going to start, uh, you know, in the minors with him. I, I honestly, it's it's a pirate thing. I, I don't expect him to be up there on opening day, which is a shame. He's clearly the right. best player in the entire organization, minors or majors. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, you know, you mentioned a couple of things in there. The oldest Chapman signing is sneaky good. You know, if he can reclaim some of that form that he had a few years back, uh, I think he'll be fine. You're right, O'Neill Cruz coming back from a season-ending uh, injury last year, uh, you know, at shortstop has the pop to, to, to hit for power. The team has some parts. And I have a, one of, my, uh, one of the, my writers for Draft Nation wrote an article uh, after the season last year, saying that the Pirates were closer to a championship than either of the other Pittsburgh teams, referring to the Steelers and Penguins. And if you know anything about Pittsburgh, I'm surprised they didn't tar and feather him for making that kind of comment. You can't, can't belittle the Steelers or the Penguins. They have two separate but very, very passionate fan bases. And uh, I'm surprised to hear you say the Pirates, but part of me is you know, I'm sitting here kind of nodding my head saying, all right, maybe. I, I don't know if they got it all yet, uh, and, but they've got the ammunition in the minors. It's a matter of how fast they can get it up here and how, how well some of these veterans play. And, of course, you know, they, they just signed Keller to a, a long-term deal. But, uh, look, I know you mentioned uh, a certain team in L.A., so let's go back to L.A. I'll walk away from the Angels and talk about the Dodgers uh, and Rob, I'll start with you on this one because you're the one that brought it up. Um, you know, Otani signed a monster historic deal, $700 million, 10 years. Um, I, that's a ridiculous. Uh, but here's a guy that they, they're paying, if you believe the number, $70 million to this year and he can't pitch. So, right. I mean, they basically, they got a guy that's going to come in here and be a hitter. Um, do you see him ever getting back to form? Uh, you know, in pitching, is it going to be worth that $70 million or do the Dodgers overpay? Um, and are the Dodgers going to Dodger in the fall again and, you know, be the, the kings of the regular season and come up short in the preseason or the postseason? You, well, the Dodgers are, you know, surely convinced that he's going to come back to pitch and pitch well at a high level. Um, and everything that we know about him as a player says he probably will. Um, nothing's a guarantee, but that contract is so Dodger friendly. I mean, you mentioned him making $70 million but he actually only banks $2 million this year, and 68 of it will actually be in deferred money. So that contract is prohibitive for most of the teams in the league, but for the powerhouse like the Dodgers, it, it almost seems like a no-brainer, and that, that just seems weird to say when a guy's making that much money. But we've never seen a talent like this, at least not in my lifetime, that, that is um, such a great hitter and a, a, and a really, really strong pitcher as well. Um, he brings people to the ballpark. He he creates revenue for the team. He is beloved by fans. Um, his he's a prolific hitter right now. So um, I think it's a great signing for them. And you know I, I'm really curious about how that that's going to work out with all of that deferred money. But as of today, I think it's uh, it's really going to work out well for the Dodgers. 
You know, Rick, I, I mean, he has a point. I mean, the deferred money is interesting. It rem- it's reminiscent of Bobby Bonilla and the Mets and, you know, his million dollars a year that he gets, uh, except on steroids, right? Uh, but, yeah. you know, Otani, to me, you know, he, look, this was not just a historic deal. It was a historic deal for a historic player. This is a guy that's playing both ways, to use a football term. He's pitching and hitting, uh, and both of them are at ace levels, right? And this is a guy that's just – really might be the best player of not this generation, but in a long, long time. It's it's hard to put a comparison on him uh, without, you know, some form of hyperbole. But w- did you think the deal was a good deal for the Dodgers? Obviously, it was a good deal for Otani. Uh, but, you know, is this going to work out for these guys long term, or do they overpay for him? Joe, I think whenever we start talking about contracts of $700 million or Five hundred million dollars. I think we're opening up a can of worms. (laughs) It's something that we could spend an entire hour (laughs) if you had the time. It's so interesting what's happened in Major League Baseball. So we we listen to Rob talk about the uh, Angels and about the uh, Pirates, and I'm talking about the Reds and and the Orioles. And these are teams that don't have these kind of contracts. They're not signing you know luxury tax problems, and they. I uh, have a situation where look, look at look at the Padres last year, the Mets last year, the Dodgers last year, and uh, the Yankees last year. Well, how many of those teams, those four, ended up in the World Series? So is spending seven hundred million dollars a great idea? I obviously don't think so. Now, did they? It's a great. Seems to be a good contract. Otani did some tricky stuff, but then that also gets into the purity of baseball to me, Joe and Rob. I mean, it seems to be one of those situations where. Is that what we really want? Do we want the Dodgers to spend $150 billion to get a world championship team? No, we, I, I don't. But also it seems like the teams that are doing that aren't really bringing home the ring. And all of a sudden we've got the Pirates and the, and the Reds and teams of that nature. So it's a crazy contract. It's structured crazily. But remember, Otani said, look, the reason I did this, and I'm going to take this money till I'm 100 years old, is that I want to open up some more money for the Dodgers to sign some more people and give them $500 million. So I don't like the direction, but I love the fact that teams like the Pirates and the Reds can come in there. Or the Diamondbacks, Joe. Come on. I mean, right. it's crazy. It, it's, a, it's a whole big discussion that we can have about the direction that baseball is going and, and is spending the most amount of money, guarantee you a ring, uh, in October. I, I don't see it happening that way, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, you know, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the game is unbalanced already uh, based on the lack of a a salary cap. Uh, I think that the the NFL and the NBA and the NHL do it right. Uh, I know that, you know, the salary cap is – we're never going to get it in baseball. That that ship has sailed uh, a long, long, long time ago. Uh, And it's it's to the point where – you look at the, the, the balance of the other leagues and it makes it competitive, you know, and you know, what the smaller market teams have had to do is exactly what you've described. They've had to develop a farm system and bring guys up and they load up and then they, they tear down for a couple of years and they load up again and they tear down for a couple of years. And it's cyclical where a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers can go out and always be competitive because of the big markets and the money that's off. And they don't care about luxury taxes or any of those kind of, those kind of things, but I'll say this from the outside looking in. Like I, I I scout for football and hockey, 
And I'll say that uh, the NFL and the NBA, their players, when they're drafted, they play right away. You know, that first-round draft pick, that second-round draft, that third-round draft, those guys are on the field or on the court right away. The NHL reminds me a lot more like baseball, where unless it's the top one or two guys, most of those guys go away. They get drafted, and you don't see them in hockey for two or three years until they, they develop, because they're drafting kids at 18, and they enter the league at, you know, 2021, 20, typically, uh, unless you're Connor Bedard or Mario Lemieux or, or somebody like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and baseball is even deeper. You know, some of these guys, you know, you, you're drafting kids out of high school, you're not going to see them until they're 25. That's seven years uh, to kind of be patient. And for that reason, how, how important is it to, in particular, some of these smaller market teams uh, to develop talent that's in your farm system, uh, especially for those guys that just can't go out there and buy those players? And, and Rick, I'll start with you. You know, I think that's an outstanding point, Joe. I, I love you brought that up. I, um, and I think all sports fans are, are shocked by the way that turns out. Like you said, uh, the NBA really and truly only drafts two rounds. <laughs> that's amazing. Whereas baseball, I, you know, I'm going to be wrong here, but you know, 10 years ago they drafted like 60 rounds or some crazy thing and drafted high school kids and, and every college player and, you know, offering them $5,000, and it, it was nuts. And for the exact reason that you say, if you go in the top uh, 60 or so in the NBA, you're going to play. You might play next year. If you don't, you're going to be sitting on the bench or in the G League and you're going to play in two or three years. Baseball, completely and totally different. It's it's an amazing statistic, but I think that it, it certainly makes it hard to uh, ramp up and know who's going to be great and, they they list sometimes 10 of the top prospects for a team, and how many of them are going to make it to the show? And not a lot of them. So it makes it hard to develop that great minor league system and, and develop from inside. But I think that's purity, Joe and Rob. I love that. I love that, that teams like the Reds and the Orioles are, and, and the Pirates are working from the bottom up, and they're figuring it out, and they're not having to – you know, these kids today are so talented. Their college game – is unbelievable. The SEC 25 years ago was didn't have a big presence in college baseball. Now they're they're unbelievable. And these kids are well trained, and some of these pitchers, Wake Forest and Vanderbilt, throwing 104 mile per hour fastballs, and they're getting the coaching and the training. And I I think there's a tremendous amount of young baseball talent out there, and I'm hoping that that goes against what we were talking about with the $700 million contracts. I don't think they're good for baseball. I love to see a team build up the farm system and make it go from there. So. Yeah. You know, Rob, Rick makes a couple of good points in there. I mean, obviously some of these, we just talked, I mean, in his prediction, he's talking about the Orioles and the Reds. You're talking about the Pirates. They're all small market teams. Right. right. And, you know, from, the perspective of the talent that we've seen come from the college ranks this last year, I mean, LSU, SEC, again, Rick to Rick's point, SEC have the number one and number two pick in the draft in, in both Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. Uh, and these guys, I mean, Skeens is going to get here eventually. The Pirates are going to hide him until they can hold him for an extra year. So we won't see him until July more than likely. Uh, but Cruz is a guy that can play from day one. Uh, and they're a little older. They're not out of high school. So they're like that 21, 22, they're in that bubble where you can see them right away. But, you know, you know, I'll ask the question of you too. I mean, how important is it out there to develop some of these? I mean, is because the Yankees, even though they might have a, a strong system, a strong farm system, they almost use it as assets to trade to get the guys they need at the trading deadline. 
you know, and they'll just develop some other guy or they'll, or they'll wait. And, you know, if for them, they don't have to worry that much about that minor league system where if you're the Marlins or you're the, you're the Pirates, the Reds, the Orioles, the, the Kansas City Royals, you need them. I mean, how, is it still that important in this game? Uh, and or do you think that some of these teams are just holding back and, you know, they, they you know, like putting money away for when they are competitive and they can spend it on free agents in those years when they cycle up and those players are ready to play? You know, and Rick made a great point about you know, these teams have their top ten prospects and how many of them are going to, you know, not only make the major leagues but then be impact players, and it comes down to the batting average, right? So for every every ten of your prospects, how many of them are going to bring up? How many of them will make a difference? When those teams can hit an average of, you know, three, four, maybe even five out of ten on, you know, every now and again, well, that's going to have a huge impact on a young team and a great team. Uh, you know, take a look at what the Orioles did last year. I think that's a great example of that. And it also goes with the whole conversation of being able to spend big bucks on one player, like the $700 million to Otani. Once you draft these guys and you get a few that hit and make it to the major leagues, the arbitration process, uh, process keeps them, you know, on those teams for quite a while before they actually do hit free agency. So free agency is not really, I think, what it was. And I, I think that maybe this offseason – was uh, a little bit of uh, just different from what we've seen in the past with some of these huge contracts to maybe younger guys because often guys are not hitting free agency until they're 30, 31, 32. And, you know, you might have a couple of really good productive years there from that free agent, but you're not going to get the 10 or 12 years out of them, uh, although they might be getting those contracts. We don't know what those contracts are going to look like on the back end. So coming back to the question is, yeah, building up your minor leagues is, is the most important thing that every organization needs to do, whether you're the Yankees that, that are going to use those prospects to kind of bring in a Juan Soto or the players, um, and how many of them you, that hit in terms of becoming impact players in the major leagues will dictate the success of your team, I think, more so than the big bucks than you throw at the free agents. Well, you know, Ron, I'm going to stay with you on this question because we, we mentioned mm-hmm. the SEC and we mentioned LSU uh, a couple of times. And we there was a real interesting debate, and I'm only bringing this up because I'm Pittsburgh-based and you mentioned the Pirates before. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let Rick get at this too because I'm interested in both of your perspectives as scouts and as baseball guys. Um, the Pirates had an interesting choice at one. Uh, they, had a, a, they had the opportunity to choose one of two generational talents. And I know that might be overused uh, these days, but at the end of the day, you got a guy like Paul Skeens who, ha- you know, in his debuts at, you know, you know low A, high A, double A mm-hmm. last year, uh, threw, I think, a total of, of 10 pitches in one game, and one of them was under 100 miles an hour. The guy clearly has the stuff, but he only affects a game 35 times in a season because he only plays 35 times. And the Pirates had a chance to, to pick him to be that generational talent on the mound and be their ace uh, and even be able to bump back a Mitch Keller to a number two spot and build that rotation. And you win with pitching, and I get that. However, the other side of the coin was a guy that was going to play 140 games for you and Dylan Cruz, who was the next Mike Trout, right, whose, whose floor might have been Andrew McCutcheon to use a Pirate. Uh, right. And, you know, that's a guy that brought them to prominence you know, back-to-back-to-back, you know, a few years ago in the playoffs, and they hadn't been there for a while. Did the Pirates make the right choice by picking the guy that's only going to pitch 
35 times a year, you know, and see action in 35 games? Or should they have taken a guy that's going to impact them 140 times and, and be in the lineup? And I'll, I'll give you my opinion when I hear both of yours, but I'll start with you, Rob. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more difficult to make that number one choice a pitcher. Injuries, um, effectiveness, there are so many different variables that might go into their ability to be that impact pitcher at the major league level. And I think it's a little bit of a safer bet, but not by a whole lot, but a little safer to go with a hitter because you can look at the tools and you can see how it's going to play out in the major leagues over time with maturity, with growth, with gaining power and muscle. I think it's a little bit easier to to gauge that. Now, that being said, the idea of having Pittsburgh uh, being able to build a rotation around a a, a very, very strong one and two, we know that that is – in, that, that's the formula for success in the major leagues. So you can't really knock Pittsburgh for taking the, the more of a risk with the pitcher. And hopefully it will pay, you know, pay dividends for them by having that, that impact rotation, which will really springboard them into the, the elite in the league. So I'm, I think they made the right choice based upon their need, but I always believe that a hitter is a, somewhat of a safer bet when you use that, that, that term generational, you know, uh, talent. Yeah, you know, Rob, and I'll pass this over to Rick, but, you know, Rick, the um, they're, they're right. I mean, we've heard the comparisons to Strasburg with with schemes, and then we've we've heard the comparisons to trial uh, to to uh, Dylan Cruz. If you if you were the Pirates, if you're Charrington and you're sitting there at one, do you do you pick schemes like he did, or or, or do you take Cruz? Um, personally, I think I would go with Cruz. I. I appreciate the points that uh, Rob made, and I basically do agree with that. Um, it's so hard to – you mentioned two people, and you mentioned uh, uh, the uh, drought. And, and of course, what happens with these guys? Well, they get injured too. I mean, you know, they, will the, will the uh, Washington ever recover from losing that, uh, a talent like that? No. And, you know, but they're going to pay him a whole mm-hmm. bunch of money. Drought. You almost feel like, and I hate to say this, but you almost feel like people are throwing at his hand when he's coming up to bat to get him out of there. And I'm I'm not saying that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying that he spends a lot of time on injured reserve. So, but I like the idea of going after an everyday hitter who can drive in the runs. Uh, pitchers just seem to get, and and I love pitchers, and I th- obviously pitching is uh, one of the secrets of winning baseball. Is you've got to have a good rotation. Now it's up to five different pitchers, but. I think that that going with Cruz is the is the way to go. Uh, I go the Jim Trout uh, route, but also I think I have the solution to all of this. Is you just keep signing people like Otani. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't think that's an option for the Pirates. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think I they they missed out. I mean, they put in their bid. They put in their bid, right? <laughs> the Babe Ruth and Otani. That's all it is, Joe. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, there's another guy that could play both positions. He was a pitcher and a hitter, from what I understand. So, uh, but you know, no, here, here's my opinion on on the Skeens uh, Cruz debate, and then we'll put it to bed. I, I think the Pirates did the wrong thing. I would have drafted Cruz. Uh, hmm. But I think the Pirates did the right thing for them uh, because the Pirates have a historically bad relationship with Cruz's representation, Scott Boris. Uh, and I think that that yeah. was – there was some signaling there that, you know, he 
could he could have decided not to come out or do some things. And it, it could have been a little bit of a cluster for the team. I think they made the safe pick for themselves, and it's hard to argue against it, right? You get an ace pitcher, and I think Pirate fans in particular, when they look down uh, Baumgartner and they look down the, the, the barrel of uh, Arietta, these guys in their prime, they, regardless of who they had in the lineup, they weren't, they just, they couldn't overcome it. Uh, and so if you get a dominant pitcher, I get that, and, that, and you're going to win in the playoffs there. So it's hard to, to do that, but I almost say the coward, there was a cowing, this cowardly, like, I don't want to face Scott Boris, so we're going to walk away from that, and we're going to take schemes because it's the easy way out, and no one's going to complain because we got an ace pitcher out of this. You know, and I hate to say that was the case, and maybe I'm a bitter Pirates uh, enthusiast, you know, kind of watching from the sidelines and saying, I too would have taken the guy that's going to play 140 times as opposed to, you know, 30 and change. Uh, and the, the risk factor for injury, I get that. I mean, the, the Tommy John thing is way too common these days. Um, yeah. But also, like these guys, they can get hit, they get hurt. I mean, I've seen players, I mean, it, it's baseball. It's, it, people are going to get hurt. It's just, it is what it is. But um, speaking of pitchers, uh, and this is something I'm, I'm interested to get your opinion on this as, as scouts and guys that see it. Because, you know, I, 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 this isn't my, even though I'm, I'm a fan of baseball, this isn't the stuff I scout. So I'm, I'll just get your opinion on this. Back in, you know, historically, pitchers have been, you know, they, you know, they would they would take the mound every fourth or fifth day, they would throw seven innings, and they'd have two two pitches, <laughs> right, a fastball and a curve, uh, and if they were lucky, they'd have a slider as as a third. Today, everyone is on a pitch count, and every fifth day, uh, they take the mound, and there's still a ton of arm issues. You know, could pitchers not be? pitching enough or is it the fact that they're throwing too many different pitches? I, you know, we're even seeing kids that are coming out of high school getting Tommy John, uh, you know, and, you know, is that a, you know, a, a matter of coaching or training or, you know, it, what's like, what's the difference here? I mean, why are we seeing more arm injuries for pitchers? Is it because there's too many pitches out there? And, and, and Rick, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I, that's my theory, Joe. I think that nowadays, obviously, these pitchers are well-coached and well-trained and they have routines. And I used to pitch in high school and college, and we had no idea of the tricks that they're using nowadays. I mean, the statistics and the analytics and the and the coaches are just – it's unbelievable. So I think that if it wasn't for the amount of pitches that they're throwing – we all know, I don't have to go back to the Bob Gibson and Don Drysdale uh, days, uh, and, and those were fun days when they were throwing nine innings and weeks after weeks after weeks. But I really think that they're they're developing all these new pitches, and everybody's got a changeup, and everybody's got a slider, everybody's got a curveball, and uh, obviously bringing the heat. The, the curveballs that they're throwing now, and I watch it on TV, Joe, and I cannot believe the way these sliders break and these sinkers fall off of the table. And that's a tremendous amount of pressure on that elbow. Obviously all the Tommy John surgeries uh, um, says that that's true. And I think that it is true. I think that there, if it wasn't, then with the tremendous health and the tremendous regimens and the coaching, I think that they could still go nine, but nobody even thinks about that. Now, if you go nine, it makes the headlines. I think that there's just too many pitches out there and it, it's messing with the elbow, and that's what's causing all the injuries. 
Rob, do you, do you agree with that assessment? I mean, you guys see this industry a lot more closely than I do. I mean, it sounds that sounds logical, but it doesn't. I, I haven't seen a report or you know, MLB hasn't come out and said this is this is a problem. It's an academic. It's like a you know, there, there's there's something some academic study that has said this is what's causing it. I mean, are you in that same camp, or is it something else? Yeah, I'm with Rick with that. It, it is the you know. Uh, the amount of pitches, the, the quality of pitches, and really the speed in which you're throwing the ball. I mean, not only are the fastballs coming in, you know, at 100 miles an hour, but now every other pitch that they have in their arsenal is coming in harder than anything we've ever seen before. I mean, change-ups in the high 80s. I mean, it's ridiculous what you'll find some days. Um, and somehow they're, they're training pitchers differently. They're stretching them out. They want them to throw harder and for shorter periods of time. I mean, even yep. rotations are built to have a guy, you know, go through the uh, the lineup maybe twice before they pull him out. They're not looking for guys to go nine innings. So they're building people to, you know, these guys to, to pitch shorter, throw harder, and it's giving them some real nasty stuff out there like we've never seen. But then it also has the, the consequences on the back end. I mean, I'm, I'm located here in Tampa Bay. Half of their rotation is, uh, is out for 2024 with Tommy John from last year. Um, these guys coming up throwing as hard as they do. Um, so we, we're seeing injuries, and Tommy John's, like you said, guys even in high school having it because they're throwing harder than ever before. Um, when so I was how do you school, correct I, I that, though? I mean, and I had the other one. That was it. We just threw junk, and, and, and one other pitch was as hard as we could throw, but that was all we did. Now it, it's just a different game. So how do, you, how do you guys propose, and Rob, let's stick with you for a second. How do you propose correcting sure. that? I mean, if it's if it's this epidemic in baseball, uh, and we know it's coming, and let's face it, I mean, I was gonna I was gonna say this a few minutes ago, baseball is filled with analytics, and you 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 it's it's the sport of statistics, and you would think like I, I just a few years ago when Andrew McCutcheon was in his prime, the Pirates had a, a, like a, a pedometer on him, uh, so that they could monitor the amount of steps he took in a day. So they knew when to take him out of a game because of, you know, they needed to give him a day off. And we see it in NBA where an entire team will rest on a, on a certain day because analytics tells them to do that. Why doesn't baseball have some sort of analytics around this? And is there a way to correct it? I mean, how do you, if we know this is happening, even if it's anecdotal and it's like, well, this kind of makes sense, but has anybody taken a look at it? How do you fix it so it doesn't happen like that? I think the question is, do they want to fix it? I don't see an, a concerted effort to really want to fix it. And let's take a guy like Tyler Glass now that just got traded to Los Angeles, right? He's an amazing pitcher, but he's going to give you four innings. He's going to go through that lineup twice, and you're going to pull him out. He's going to be running out of gas. He's giving you everything he's got. And that, that's really by design. The Dodgers, they, not only did they want that, but they rewarded him with a big contract. So I don't – teams looking to find a guy that has a fastball and a curveball to go seven innings, I think they want the specialist. They want some guy that's going to go, you know, five innings, and then they're going to go to their sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guy. So um, I I guess the real question is, do you see teams out there that are interested in changing what they're doing? Because the analytics say we just want to change the game and have our specialists come in from the sixth inning on and get somebody that can get us a few outs before then. Uh, and, and do it in a way, throwing the ball, like I said, as hard as you possibly can and, and get as much movement as you can on those pitches as well. You know, Rick, Joe, that's I have a great to, point. I have I mean, to agree. There, it, 
Yeah, I was going to say, is there a will there? I mean, like, there, uh, uh, I don't, let me interject for one second. Like, in mm-hmm. football, uh, you know, concussions was a problem, right? And they investigated it. They did some things. The Players Association stepped in because they were – they needed to protect the players. Should Major League Baseball's Players Association step in and do the same thing? Because these guys are getting injured, and the teams and the league don't care, and they're – they're burning through these guys, and that UCL, that Tommy John stuff. When they they're gone for a year, they've basically lost a year of their career. Uh, and with all the rehab and stuff like that, should they should they step in like other leagues have? We've seen, and concussions are different. I mean, I get that. I'm just using that as an example of it's it's really happened in 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 both the in both hockey because of the way they turn their heads when they hit the boards. A lot of those concussions are caused based on the torque. Uh, and whiplash as opposed to their head actually hitting the boards or, or the um, or the glass or the ice in football with all that together, and they've made a concerted effort to fix it. Should Major League Baseball step in to fix it? I guess that's my question to you. Is that is that something they should – or the Players Association step in and say, guys, we're, we're killing ourselves here. we got to do something about that. You know, Joe, I, I think the problem with that is – and I, I don't necessarily disagree – Obviously, your football analogy is a mapped one. You think about um, uh, roughing the passer. That's a good one because 15 years ago, 20 years ago, back in the days of Butkus, I mean, you could hit the quarterback after about three steps and, and still blast him. You can't do that no more. And But I think, Joe, that that's something that's easier to monitor and easier to change. When you've got a guy out there – throwing gas at 100 miles per hour, and then he's throwing 91-mile-per-hour sliders and 92-mile-per-hour sinkers, I don't Mm -hmm. think they want to fix that problem, Joe. I think that Rob kind of hit it on the head where he said that these are specialists now. They don't go nine innings. They don't, you know, pitch into the 14th inning. They don't – it's not Warren Spahn anymore. That's not what's going on. And I don't think that you can monitor it as well. You just don't know. It's one pitch, right? So if I'm – if I'm out there and I'm throwing 100 miles an hour, all of a sudden my arm is sore and I walk off the mound. And, and what can anybody really do to know that that next pitch is going to be the one? And that's usually what it is in, in baseball. Whereas in football, you can kind of slow the train down a bit and, and have a different effect and kind of uh, interfere to make things safer. In baseball, especially with pitchers, and they are going through them, Joe. I agree with you 100%. And, Tommy John is not, we act like it's a simple procedure, but it's not. I mean, it's major surgery, but I think that baseball has it the way they want. Think about, can you imagine, uh, Joe and Rob, a World Series game 30 years ago where each inning they were throwing another specialist in a World Series game? That, That kind of stuff just didn't happen, but it happens now because these pitchers are specialists and they're made to throw to so many right handers so many left-handers or people that can't hit the sinker. I mean, it's just, as you say, analytics and, and statistics are what baseball is all about, and that's what's ruling the roost. I don't think there's any motivation to change it, Joe, and I don't think you can you can stop it enough to – I mean, you could say, okay, everybody's going to throw four innings. Throwing 100-mile-per-hour gas and 92-mile-per-hour sinkers, you may go out in the third inning, Joe. So I don't think baseball is motivated to change it. And, and Rick, by the way, to your point, the World Series back in the day when you would have those bullpens, you knew that when some of those guys were coming in from that, that, that bullpen that something was going really wrong for the other team, 
to your point, guys were made to go deep into a game and bring in one or two relievers to kind of close it out, not this, uh, you know, laundry list of six, seven guys that are going to come through. But, and Joe, to your point, you know, a concussion is definitely more serious of an injury than a shoulder. So that's the first thing, or an elbow. Um, and then maybe even the idea that we have guaranteed contracts in baseball makes it less uh, of an issue for the league as a whole because a guy that has this elbow or shoulder injury most times they're still going to get paid and still stay on their contract as they recover, whereas in other sports it's a little bit easier to kind of get out, get away from somebody that's had these major injuries. Um, so that, yeah. I think all of these are factors. No, that's that's a great point. I mean, if if you consider that and there's no cap and you don't have to worry about it, you don't have to worry about counting guys. Like NHL, they have to literally sometimes they, they're they're playing with a short bench because they have to stay under the cap, right? Baseball doesn't have to worry about that. Oh, I've got five guys that are out. Like you said, Tampa's lost half the rotation yeah. uh, to, to Tommy John, and they can just go out and sign some other guys, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. They might not be good this year, but they're, they can go out and replace them, and there'll be other guys that can step in and do that. I find that find that interesting. And I also think that, you know, some of the rule changes, and we'll get into this because I'd like to dissect the rule changes by rule change. Um, but, do you, you know, l- let's back up, and I'll, I'll let Rick answer this question first. Um, baseball's gone through a lot of lot of rule changes over the, the last couple of years to speed up the game, to make it more exciting for fans. The days of the five-and-a-half-hour games are lo- long in the past, and a lot of their fans just really can't you know, the, the attention span of some of the, you know, the millennials to the Gen Zs and now the Gen Alphas just isn't there to watch a game like they used to. Um, has the pitch clock uh, and the time that they have, has, do you like that part of the game now? Is that also contributing to the injury thing? Or is it something just as necessary to keep the, keep the game going so that we could keep it within the three-hour window uh, that most people are used to when they're watching other sports? Boy, that's a great question. It, it encompasses a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it, Joe? You know, sure, um, sure does. I was one of those baseball purists, and when they were talking about some of these crazy rule changes, I'm like, holy mackerel, what are you talking about? You can't do that to baseball. But if you don't grow and if you don't attract a younger audience, geezers start to, like me, start to fall off the wayside, and <laughs> baseball's not going to survive that way. So then they made the big changes. Do I like the idea that, that the clock is quickened the game to less than three hours and bringing a new uh, group of people to baseball? Yeah, you got to like it. Didn't like it at first, but I like it now because it has made a change. And I do like the quicker games. When I go to a ball game, go up to Phoenix and, and watch a whole bunch of baseball, you know, I do like that it's two hours and, and, and 48 minutes. I think that that's a, a good thing. Do I like the idea that the baseball bag was extended a couple of inches so that we could get more steals. Yeah, I think that that's more exciting than home runs and strikeouts on 92-mile-per-hour sinkers do. I like the idea that somebody starts off on second base in the 10th inning. Boy, I'm still having trouble <laughs> with that one, Joe and Rob. But, but you know, if, it, if it's You're a jumping ahead, I'm going to go to your, work. You're taking all my questions, damn it. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. Keep, keep rolling. I'll, I'll catch I, I got a few more. Don't worry. I got, I got a whole okay, bag of this over here, so just – yeah, just keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll slow my roll so I don't take all your stuff, Joe. But but it's uh, if it's the 14th inning and it's 12:30 at night, I got to go to work in the morning. Am I? Do I like that uh, set guy on second base? Well, yeah, then I like it. So even though I'm a purist, I think the changes would be good. And the last point I want to make, Joe and Rob, is that 
I saw, I, I was reading that article the other day by Tony Clark, you know, the union uh, head chief, and they were talking about all the changes last year and how good I think that the, the majority of them were, you guys. The idea that they were talking about dropping the 20-second clock with men on base to 18 seconds, I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on. You got the game down from three and a half hours to two hours and 40 minutes. Do you really have to take two seconds off of the man on base for a pitcher? And, I, and then that gets to your point, Joe, causing more injuries. If a pitcher is not focusing on what he's doing and what the next pitch is and, and what's the next batter coming to do and what does he have to do, all of a sudden he's like, I got 18 seconds. Is this guy going to steal a base? Is this good? You know, and I think that maybe that makes him rush. And, and I'm, that's hypothetical or theoretical or whatever it may be. But I think that's a problem. Now, all of a sudden, can't you leave it alone for a year and, and let's work it out, Rob and Joe? I mean, 18 seconds, two seconds? Come on, guys. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Rick, you know, I, I I agree with everything that Rick said there. I mean, the fans were coming out in, in force because they liked the shorter games. I mean, and I'm a purist. I didn't think I was going to like any of it, but you can't deny the effect it's having on the on the fans, the younger fans for sure. So uh, it is making the game a little bit different, a little bit more exciting. I like I like the base running that's going on. Again, all of these things we're seeing these younger teams that are capitalizing on these rules because again they, they're first of all younger guys. Uh, they've been playing around with it a little bit in the minor leagues, um, and even the ability to throw over to first. I mean, I, I saw a video the other day of a pitcher that threw over 18 consecutive times to try to keep Vince Coleman on first base. And then on the 19th, you know, the 19th try, he throws a pitch. And what does Vince do? He steals second base. So, I mean, that's <laughs> the way it was back, you know, when, when I, in the 80s, for sure, when Vince was running all over the town. Um, but we can't just deny the effect it's had on, on fans and the game as a whole. And if we're, you know, we're moving forward with the game, I, I think it's the right thing. And I don't know if you would have told me this time last year going into the season, I would have agreed I don't think I would have said that. I think I might have been more skeptical of, of, of the effect it would have had. Um, and then even look at some of the veteran pitchers. Veteran pitchers really struggled, certainly early on in the season, if not throughout, with the, with the pitch clock. They've, they've never really dealt with it. The younger pitchers, again, coming up, they were able to kind of handle that. They were more, more equipped to deal with these, these uh, game changes. That's why younger teams right now are the ones to really look at because they're better prepared than some of the veterans that have been playing this game a little bit longer than they have. Well, I, I got to say, I, I, I really do like the pitch clock. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it makes the game more interesting. It moves it along. And, and, look, I'm a fan of stolen bases. My favorite player growing up back in the day was Ricky Henderson, right? Mm-hmm. And for a while there, analytics was telling you, do not run, do not steal, because if you get caught stealing – uh, you know, that's a bad thing because uh, getting it out is the worst thing you can do, right? Like that kind of stuff. Or, you know, the Mark Teixeiras of the world that would just foul off 12 balls because we want to get to the middle relief, right? And things like that. You're like, oh, God. It's just, it, it, was, it was strategic and in some cases very tactical, but it really killed the game. It reminded me so much of the 90s when the, the, when the NHL, you know, just it, the 2-1 games, where you can hold and you can claw and you can grab and you can stick. And, you know, they had to clean it up. They got went to, on strike to clean it up to make the game faster, you know, and they brought in, you know, three-on-three overtimes and shootouts and things that were really attractive for the fans. And I'm glad that baseball has adjusted. And, look, I, 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 speaking of purists, 
and Rick, I'm going to come back to you on this because you said you're a purist. The one rule that I love the most that changed was designated hitter National League. Are, are you, as, as a purist, as somebody has seen, you know, designated hitters, AL, you know, pitchers are going to have to, you know, step up into the batter's box. Has that bothered you or have you adjusted to it and been like, ah, you know, I can live with that. Boy, you opened up a can of worms there, Joe. You just had to go I there. figured I would. I figured <laughs> I would. <laughs> you know, that's, that's great because, uh, again, we keep getting into these situations where when, when it happened in the American League, I didn't like it. And then we had it for years and years and years. If one in one league didn't have it, one did have it. So at the all-star game, you know, whoever threw left-handed got it in the world. I mean, the whole thing was getting ridiculous, right? So it, it's a situation where at this point I'm glad that they have the DH. I think that it extends some guys' careers so that they don't have to go in the field, and I really like that. And honestly, Joe and Rob, the idea that a pitcher was going to come to bat and maybe he was going to get plunked in the ribs or he was going to get hit in the hand. I mean, those guys, that, with those contracts they got now, no thank you. I don't think he ought to be up there when he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not going to provide any offense. And you mentioned the stolen bases. And, and what did that help to create, Joe and Rob? That helped to create the idea of more offense. And I think we needed that. Everybody was hitting home runs, and pitchers were striking everybody out. I think that the stolen base, bringing in the DH, making the little base a little bit bigger. I thought that that was pretty cool. And I think that it creates some offense. It creates some excitement. And Rob had a good point with the young teams where they're recruiting speed now. These guys are just flying around the base pass, and it makes it fun, and it makes it exciting. So I didn't like it at first, Joe, but but I'm learning to live with it. Well, I'm glad you've come to the dark side because I was there way before it happened. You know, and maybe it's because I'm an AL guy. Like, I loved – the Oakland A's, the Bash brothers. I loved, you know, that, I mean, you, you could go, I mean, the the idea that you can throw a DH in the middle, even like the unfair, like the Yankees, where they just have professional hitters, right? Like the Paul O'Neill's yeah. of the world that, you know, didn't take the field all that much, but it made it interesting. The minute you see a pitcher, you're like, oh God. And what, what it does is two things. Yeah. One, you know, it's an automatic out in most instances, unless they're Rick yeah. Roden or somebody of that ilk that could actually hit 220. Right, Bob but Darden. you know, if you yeah, if you take that out of the game, you you add offense to it. It's it. There's never a point where it's boring because you know everybody in the lineup can hit, and or you know it's like oh they're going to get to the pitcher and they're going to take them out to put in a a pinch hitter, and yeah, well that's going to you know five minutes I'm going to go make myself a sandwich, right? Or I'm going to change the channel and you forget <laughs> forget what you're doing, you know. And and I just didn't I just didn't like it. I just I like the fact that the DH was there and. You know, Rob, I don't know, do you agree with me? Are you a DH guy or, or you know, are you like a purist that, you know, says, ah, well, I don't like that at all. Let's go back to the way it used to be. How about this? I'm going to sit on the fence with you guys, on, on you guys. I'm going to tell you that I liked it when the National League allowed the, the pitchers to hit and the American League had the DH. I felt like it was a little of both worlds. It differentiated the leagues. It showed that, you know, there's different strategy, of course, involved. So, uh, and I grew up as a National League guy. So the idea that the, the uh, double switch will never happen again or rarely ever again um, and some of the strategy that would go into actually managing uh, the game itself changes with a DH. Um, but so I kind of like the old way where we had each league had a different set of rules. 
Um, I know that we're changing and the league is, is moving in a different direction. And goodness, who knows how long we'll have a National League and American League. You know, I think that they're, they're moving towards changing even that. But I guess in my purest world, we had a little of both worlds. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin off a little bit here because, you know, I think it's, it's odd to me that there's two different rules for two different leagues. And I'd love to get your opinion on this too, Rick, because I think Rob brings up an interesting point. You know, in football, the AFC plays the NFC. You rotate divisions every year, and uh, the rules are the same. The football is the same size. The field is the same size. You know, in baseball, you know, or basketball or hockey, I mean, they're all standard. Everything is standardized. There used to be smaller hockey rinks like the Boston Gardens and things like that. But for the most part, that's all been changed and, and corrected. Baseball still is anachronistic in that sense. You you have a short portion right field for the Yankees, or you have you know a, a hill that you have to run up in Houston to catch a catch a ball with a train coming at you, like really weird stuff. <laughs> where we're, the, the the fields are not uniform, the rules are not uniform, and you just there's a dalliance. You every now and then you play a team, and they've started to to allow you playing across you know the the, the leagues right where. In football, of course the Steelers are going to play the Cowboys or the Niners or somebody. You know, like it's going to happen every year. They don't play them all the time. They play, you know, twice in a division, a lot more in their conference, but they, they rotate and it's on a schedule and the rules are the same. Do you find, Rick, do, do you find that, that you could have different size fields and you could have different rules? I mean, is there something that's in it? Is there an inequity in there? Or is it just the charm of the game and it's traditional and too bad and we'll all have to live with it? You know, another another good question. I really like that. It, the reason I, I like that question so much, I was uh, taking the wife to the airport this morning and she was talking about me playing golf this week. And I said, you know what? I said, the thing about it is I keep playing the same two or three same golf courses. I go, I love playing a golf course that I don't know a lot about. <laughs> it's a little bit different and it's got a different view and – so th- there's something to be said for different rules and the charm of a different kind of ballpark and Camden Yard. I, I think that that's crucial. And I think that the idea of you know, interleague play is, is great. Obviously, the Mets playing the Yankees. I mean, come on. that's You, you have to see that. So the, the Steelers and, and teams playing together in the NFL is just the way it's going to be. It's like it's a normal thing, whereas in baseball – the idea that the American League is going to play the National League, I mean, that was, wow, that was terrible 15 years ago. And now I like it. I think it does. Charm is a great word, Joe. I think that it does make baseball a little bit what it is. I, I'm not crazy about that porch in uh, Yankee Stadium on right, right field. But um, it, it is part of what baseball is all about. Maybe we need to keep a few of those things around, Joe. How about you, Rob? Are you, do, you, do you like the fact – it sounds to me like you do. I mean, you kind of were of leaning that do, way. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it make it – is there an inequity in that, though? Like, is there – like, yeah, I love the Subway Series. I think that's great. But why isn't there a Subway Series? Why hasn't there been a Subway Series? Or, or you know, the, the, the Cubbies going to play the White Sox makes – it just makes sense to me. But, like, like the Mariners and the, and the Pirates – don't, they're not on a rotation. Like you don't see that all that often. But it would be cool as a as a fan to see that. Why why did baseball have these? Why do they still have these fences up? You know, uh, well, I, I think 
it's a uniquely different game, and let's call it for what it is. I mean, it, it's just played differently. It's not moving something from one side of the field to another. We have unique stadiums. We have unique fields. You know, there was that time in the in the 60s and 70s, they were building the, the, the cookie cutters. I'm putting air quotes around it of stadiums. Uh, I mean, you guys had one in Pittsburgh for a while, didn't you? And uh, oh, horrible. We, we learned, horrible. Yeah, and, and fans fans wanted something different. And, you know, I guess Camden Yards really opened that up again, and that changed the way we looked at how we were building stadiums for, for fans and, uh, and for the experience. So to that end, the idea that, you know, a National League that had um, – no DH in American League with a DH with, with unique stadiums with unique fields and unique feels to the game when you go. I think it's all part of it and it makes it uniquely a different sport. Um, so that's what I've always missed. Um, I know it, it's changing again and um, I'll go with the flow. I'm a I'm a baseball lifer and I see the value of what they're doing because it is attracting younger fans. They need that, you know. Uh, Rick said that you know the old timers like like myself like you know I'm not going to be around watching these games forever. Someone's got to take my place. So they're doing the right thing by making the changes now. Look, guys, we're coming to the end of the show. I've got one last question for you because we've talked about the last season. We've talked about this coming season. I want to talk a little bit about the future of baseball because we've talked so much about the past and its traditions. Uh, MLB is looking to expand. Uh, and, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, that Charlotte might be in the running uh, New Orleans might be in the running. Obviously, there's all sorts of talk about teams moving. We've seen that already in, in, in places. Um, you know, in the next five years, uh, is it healthy for baseball to expand? Are we ready for that? Uh, or would you guys prefer it to stay the same or even contract? Uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, leagues have done that in the past. I mean, uh, and, you know, Rick, I'll start with you, and then we'll go over to Rob to get his opinion uh, before we close this out, but is is expansion a, in your eyes a good thing, and you know, or would you rather baseball stay the same or even get smaller? Um, I'm I'm in favor of expansion. I think that with the size of these contracts that people are coming up with, I think that you need to continue to grow. And there are some great cities that, again, you mentioned Charlotte, you mentioned Nashville, and New Orleans, and even cities like Portland and Sacramento. I mean, I think those are some great. Uh, uh, baseball places. Uh, the situation with the uh, Oakland and Las Vegas is a tad convoluted, and that's not going real smoothly. But I think that it's in the best interest again to grow the base and to get some more money involved and get get interest. Then you know, obviously, there's the the Tampa Bay and the and the and the most importantly the Marlins, and those those are a little bit distressing. And then the the Diamondbacks, you know, three and a half million their very first year they attracted, and then that went down and down, but you know, you put a winning team on the field, and Diamondbacks proved that last year by uh, attracting uh, over two million again. So I think I'm in favor of expansion. Uh, I'm not sure where, but you've also there's a situation. I'll wrap it up here, uh, Joe and Rob. But there's a situation where these uh, billionaire uh, uh, owners are always used that as a threat, right? They're always saying, "Well, they're talking about it here in Arizona, guys." Uh, Diamondbacks already saying, well, my lease runs out at Chase Field in uh, 2027, and if I don't get some concessions or a brand-new stadium, you know, we do not want to go anywhere else. I promise you that. But so you keep getting the but question, right? So, you know, is that a threat, or are they trying to get us here in Arizona to 
uh, pay a new tax so we can have ballparks for billionaires. I'm not sure. And, look, honestly, Chase Field, I don't like it either. So it's not a great field, not well designed. I mean, fields like Camden Yards make it seem like, a, you know, it's dark and foreboding and never was a great place. But uh, I, I'm, I'm in favor, Joe, of expansion, and uh, I think it's the direction Major League Ball is going to go. Rob, how about you, man? Would you like to see expansion or do you want it to stay the same? Well, I mean, as a purist, I would like to keep it where it is. But as a realist, <laughs> I know that we have to. they got to keep moving forward. And I know that expansion is certainly going to be happening. You know, I, I hear, you know, Nashville, you know, we named some of the cities, maybe even Salt Lake. Um, uh, and uh, I, I'm also a Rick, the idea that these owners that hold up these towns about I want a new stadium or I'm going to move them to X, Y, or Z, I think that that's something that needs to be dealt with, at, you know, for, at, at the major league level there. There's something wrong there. Um, but we have to keep building it, and I, I think where they're headed is that we're going to get rid of the, the term National League and American League. I think we're going to see geographic divisions sooner or later, and uh, the game will change yet again, uh, and maybe for the better. Um, but I'm always willing to take a look at some of the things they're doing to change stuff, to bring in the new fans. Um, as as long as we're giving, you know, we, we're keeping – uh, and giving the fans a great experience, they're going to come out. And even you see some of these new stadiums that are going to be built, they're, they're building them a little smaller than they ever have. Um, just less fans just to make it more intimate and give them the very best experience. That's what's going to bring people back. And then building a winner through these young teams, that'll get them there. So, yeah, they're going to have to expand, and I expect that that will be happening real soon. Well, James, we have about a minute left. Uh, before I let you guys go, uh, Rick, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, and then Rob, follow up, and then you know I'll kick you guys off the Blog Talk Radio airways for tonight. And thank you for being on. But you know, Rick, why don't why don't we start with you? Uh, yeah, you can contact me at uh, my email is rmafss at aol dot com. I'm doing usually a weekly show with uh, Leo and Night Sports, also. Been doing uh, now the football season's over. I was doing a show, uh, radio show up in Pittsburgh. So staying busy and enjoying it. And uh, great show, Joe. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Well, it was a pleasure having you on, Rob. How can people get a hold of you? You can find me on Amped Up Sports, and we're on Facebook and other social media. That's where that's where you'll find my uh, baseball writing. And uh, I also had a great time just talking baseball with you, Joe and Rick. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Well, it's been my pleasure. Again, for everybody listening, Rick Moore, Rob Creek, check them out at their socials. Check them out online. Email them any questions you may have. And not only a big thanks to our guests, but also a big thanks to our sponsor, iHeartMedia, uh, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free all the time. And remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you. Thanks again, gentlemen. Appreciate your time. Thank you.